Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are just a few days after Christmas. So in this sermon, we're taking some time to think about what Christmas is all about. Now, usually when we think about Christmas, we think about the story that Luke tells us about Jesus' birth. And in Luke's story, we hear about when Jesus was born and who was involved and where it takes place and what exactly happened. But Luke's version is just one version of the story of Jesus' birth. There's another version that we need to hear, especially at Christmas time, because it shows us just who Jesus really is. So let's get right into this episode's sermon and listen to this version of the story of Jesus' birth. together to worship today to celebrate Jesus' birth. Now, before we dive in and we dig deeper into a familiar story that we all expect to hear when we worship together on Christmas Day, I actually want to start by asking you to think about how you would tell the story of someone's birth. Now, if you're a parent that's worshiping with us right now in person or joining us online, I want you to think about the way that you would tell the story about the birth of your son or your daughter. If you're not a parent worshiping with us right now, I want you to think about another birth story that you could tell. Maybe you could tell about the day that your niece or your nephew was born, or the day that your cat had a litter of kittens, or the day you went to the Humane Society to adopt a puppy. But I want you to think about the way that you would tell the story of someone's birth. Now, even though all of us have our own unique stories that we could tell about the birth of someone in some way in our lives, stories are still going to have at least a few things in common. Like every one of our stories are going to tell you when this story took place. Every one of these stories is going to tell you who was involved in the birth story. Every one of these stories is going to tell you where it happened. And every one of these stories is going to tell you what exactly took place. So even though we all have our own different stories that we can tell, all of them are going to tell us when and who and where and what happened. That's just good storytelling. So when I tell you that I'm going to share with you a familiar story about Jesus' birth, you know what to expect from this story. You know that I'm going to tell you when it happened and who was involved and where it happened and what exactly took place. That's what we expect in the story. And it's exactly what we get from the most familiar version of the story of Jesus' birth. And that's the version that we find in the Gospel of Luke. So, I want us to take a quick look at the Gospel of Luke and how Luke tells the story. So, in Luke's Gospel, or Luke's account of the life of Jesus, this is how he tells the story of Jesus' birth. Luke begins by writing, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was a governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town. So in the verses that we just read, we're told when Jesus was born. And when was Jesus born? Well, he was born when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And he was born when Caesar Augustus had issued a decree across the entire Roman world that a census needed to be taken place. 
from there, Luke goes on up to Roger. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of Elijah. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So in these verses, Luke tells us who is involved in the story of Jesus' birth. It's Mary and it's Joseph. And Luke also tells us where the whole thing is going to take place. It takes place in the little town of Bethlehem. So at this point, we know when the story takes place. We know who is involved. We know where it happens. And that means that we're still expecting Luke to tell us what exactly took place. And as we keep reading in Luke chapter 6, that's exactly, or Luke chapter 2, verse 6, that's exactly what Luke is going to tell us. In Luke chapter 2, verse 6, he goes on to say, while they were there, the, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no room available for them. So what exactly happens? Mary gives birth to her firstborn, a son, whom we know is Jesus. So this is the way that Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth. You know what? Luke gives us a really good account of Jesus' birth. He tells us when, he tells us where, he tells us who, he tells us what exactly happened. And after you hear Luke's version of the story of Jesus' birth, you leave the story knowing that Jesus is born. And you know what? That wouldn't be a bad place for us to leave this Christmas sermon. I mean, I could just stop right now and we could all go home and get about our Christmas celebrations after hearing the good news that Jesus is born. But, and I know this isn't a button that you really want to hear when you've got Christmas presents that are waiting to be opened and you've got family gatherings that are waiting to happen. But the way that Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth is just one version of this story. And there's another version of this story that I think we need to hear today, especially today, on Christmas Day. Because this version of the story helps us understand just how important Jesus' birth is. This version, this account of Jesus' story comes from the Gospel of John. But before we take a closer look at how John tells the story of Jesus' birth, i got to go ahead and warn you. The way that John tells the story of Jesus' birth doesn't sound anything like the way that Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth. And it doesn't sound anything like the way that you or I would tell the story of another person's birth. As a matter of fact, John's version sounds so different that I don't even want you to look at it quite yet. I just want you to listen as I read the way that John tells the entire story of Jesus' birth. So sit back and listen. This is how John tells the story. John writes... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish it. The Word became flesh and made His home among us. We have seen His glory. Glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So John's story of Jesus' birth sounds completely different than Luke's version, right? It's completely different. 
birth. There's no season and there's no census. When you look at the way that John tells the story of Jesus' birth, there's no Mary and there's no Joseph. When you look at the way that John tells the story of Jesus' birth, there's no Bethlehem. There's not even a baby in the way that John tells the story of Jesus' birth. So why is John's version of the story so different than the way that Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth or the way that we would tell the story of Jesus' birth? Well, the Gospel of John, it's a biography of Jesus. So from the very beginning of this biography of Jesus, John wants us to know that he's not just telling us another biography. He's not just telling us about another person. John wants us to understand that he's telling us about someone He's telling us the story of someone that's completely different than anyone else who has ever walked the face of the earth. That's why John starts his story this way. And as we dig deeper into the way that John tells the story of Jesus' birth, we're going to understand just how incredible the story is. So now's the point where if you've got a Bible close by, I'd encourage you to grab it and turn with me to John chapter 1. And I want you to do that just so you can follow along and see what I'm saying with with your own eyes. But before we dig a little bit deeper into the Gospel of John, I do have to warn you this morning that there's a chance I might go into full-on Bible geek mode on you today. And that is either going to fascinate you or you're going to wonder why you bothered coming to church on Christmas Day when I finished. But one way or the other, just kind of go along with it and we'll see what happens. So... Let me start by just reminding you that the Gospel of John is one of the first four books that we find inside of the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in these first four books in the New Testament, we refer to them as the Gospels. And we call them Gospels because the word Gospel means good news. In all four of these books, they tell us the good news of Jesus. But like I said just a minute ago, the way that John tells the story of Jesus' birth is different. John wants us to understand that the story that he's telling us is a story about someone that the world has never seen before. So that's why John begins this version, his account of Jesus' birth, the way that he does. So John starts his account of Jesus' life by writing, In the beginning. Now these are just three simple words. But these three simple words automatically draw us into another story. They take us back to the very beginning. They take us back to Genesis 1-1, when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And John starts his gospel with these three words for a reason. John starts his gospel with these three words because he wants us to understand that Jesus' story, it doesn't begin when he's born on Christmas Day. It doesn't even begin nine months earlier when Jesus is conceived. John wants us to understand that Jesus' story begins all the way in the beginning, before there is even a heaven and an earth that has been created. From there, John goes on to write, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now, if you've spent much time around the church, you've probably heard this verse dozens of times before, right? But even if you've heard this verse dozens of times before, it still sounds a little strange. And it sounds a little bit strange because in English, the word, word, literally refers to the name that we call something. So if you're worshiping with us in person right now, we've got a name for that thing that you're sitting on during the service. 
There's a word for what you're sitting on, and that word is chair. Or we have a word for this little thing right here that I sometimes drink out of while I'm preaching on Sunday mornings. That word is water bottle. Sometimes I'll have a cup up here with me instead. But in English, that's what a word is. It's just the name that we call something. But that's not what John means inside of this passage. And this is where I might go into that full-blown Bible geek mode on you, okay? So just kind of bear with me as we get into this. Um, but the word that John uses for word in this passage is the Greek word logos. And I know that I just said word a whole lot there, so that sentence may have been a little confusing. So I'll repeat it to give you a second chance. But the word that John uses for the word in this passage is the Greek word logos. And the Greek word logos refers to more than just the name that we refer to something. The Greek word for logos means so much more than just that. The Jewish philosopher by the name of Philo says that logos is a way of speaking about the creative plan that God has that God uses to govern over the entire world. So the word logos, it means more than just the name that we call something. The word logos is the Greek equivalent of the same word that God used when he spoke creation into existence in Genesis 1. The Greek word logos, the word logos is the Greek equivalent of the same word that God spoke when he gave Moses the law when he was standing on Mount Sinai. The word logos is the Greek equivalent of the same word that God spoke whenever he spoke to one of the prophets to give them a message to speak to the people of Israel. So the word Logos means so much more than just the name that we refer to something by. Logos is the very essence of who God is and what God wants to accomplish. Logos is the very essence of who God is and what God wants to accomplish. So with that in mind, let's go back to the passage that we just read in John 1, now that we have a better understanding of what the word, word means in this passage. This is what John tells us. He says, in the beginning was the word. You'll notice I've got a little notes out beside that now. He says, in the beginning was the word, and this is the logos, the essence of who God is and what God wants to accomplish in our world. And this word was with God, and this word was God. This word was with God at the beginning. Everything came into being through it, and without it, without the essence of who God is and what God wants to accomplish, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness doesn't extinguish the light. And then in verse 14, John tells us, the Word became flesh and made his home among us. John is trying to tell us here is the very essence of who God is and what God wants to accomplish became flesh when Jesus was born. Before Jesus was born, the Word, the Logos, the essence of God, it was just part of the eternal and the divine realm. But when Jesus was born, the Word, the Logos, the essence of God, it entered the temporal and human world. And by telling this story the way that John does, what John is trying to help us understand is he talks about the Word being God and talks about creation and talks about the Word becoming flesh. What John is trying to help us understand is just how special and how important this story is. 
And John wants us to understand how special and how important this story is, because John knows this story is so important that it is going to be told over and over and over again for years to come. And that's exactly what's happened. We've been telling this story for more than 2,000 years. But the more you tell a story, the more you want to just skip past it. The more you take that story for granted. And John knows that's what's going to happen. We're going to take the story of Jesus' birth for granted. So he wants to tell the story a different way. And John does it. He tells the story a different way because he wants to help us understand and appreciate what it means when we say that Jesus is born. John wants to help us understand that when we say that Jesus is born, what we're saying is that very God, the very God, the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, left the divine realm to become one of us. John wants us to understand that when we say that Jesus is born, what we're saying is that the same God who created you has flesh like yours, bone like yours, blood like yours, has experienced pain like yours, has feelings like yours. Let that sink in for just a second. Because we rush past that fact on Christmas far too often. The story of Christmas tells us that God had flesh. That God became flesh. The story of Christmas tells us that God became human. The story of Christmas tells us that God became one of us. This is what the story of Christmas is all about. The fact that God became one of us. Do you realize what this means? It means that if you were alive in the first century in Galilee, that you could have bumped into God when you were out shopping in the market. This means that if you were alive in the first century and you lived in Galilee, you could have been sitting beside God when you went to worship. If you lived in Galilee in the first century, you could have gone fishing with God. You could have had breakfast with God because God became one of us. And John tells the story of Jesus' birth the way that he does because he wants this magnitude, the magnitude of this reality, to sink in for us. God became flesh. God became human. God became one of us. And John doesn't just tell us this fact because he wants us to marvel at the wonder of the fact that God became one of us. John also tells us it's because it's important for us to realize that God became one of us and what it tells us about who God is. It's important for us to understand this because when we know that God became one of us, it tells us so much about who God is and how God feels about us. I mean, let's just think about it for a minute here. Before Jesus was born, before God became flesh, the world really only knew God in one way. This is the way that Father Neville Pincus, who was an Anglican priest, put it. He said, God is great. This is a truth which needed no supernatural being to teach me. So before Jesus was born, before God became flesh, we only knew that God was great. We knew that God was so great that God could create the heavens and the earth and everything in them. We know that God was so great that God could order armies and empires and move them around like pieces on a chessboard. We know that God was so great 
and he could speak through a burning bush, purify a prophet by placing a burning coal in his mouth. We knew that God is so great that if you even encountered God, you'd be left half crippled or even dead. And because we know that God was this great, we also knew that this was a God that needed to be feared. And because this God needed to be feared, that meant that this God needed to be pacified. So when we came and we worshipped this God, we bowed down to the ground before him. We bowed down to the ground so low that we placed our foreheads on the ground before him. This God was so great that we needed to keep God separated from our ordinary temporal lives. So we literally built walls in our temples, creating places that were referred to as the Holy of Holies, where God could dwell. This God was so great that we didn't even want to speak his name or write it down because we were so fearful and reverent of it. But when Jesus was born, this great and this powerful God little arms and little legs that needed to be swallowed up so that he could stay warm. When Jesus was born, this great and this infinite God becomes completely dependent on a new mother to take care of him. When Jesus was born, this great and this infinite God becomes a fragile infant. And God did it because God knew we would never know how much God loves us until God lived with us. We would never know how much God loves us until God lives with us. God loves you so much that he left the highest heavens and the realm of the divine to walk this earth. And when God chose to come into this world, he didn't choose to come in as a powerful king that was born in a palace. God entered this world as the son of an ordinary woman. He was born in a stable. And God chose to enter this world this way, even though he knew that people would doubt him. God chose to enter this world this way, even though he knew that people would make fun of him. God chose to enter the world this way, even though he knew that people would turn their back on him and ultimately demand his life. God did it all so that you would know that God loves you enough to give up everything for you. That's exactly what God did. He gave up everything for you. When he entered in this human, this temporal world, God gave up eternity for you. When God walked the dirt roads of ancient Israel and his feet, completely caked and covered with dirt and mud and whatever else may have been on the roads. God gave up his glory for you. When people called his name, called him names and doubted that Jesus was who he said he was, God gave up respect for you. When Jesus died on that cross, God gave up his life for you. God gave up show you that God loves you more than you'll ever know. God gave up more than you can imagine to show you that God loves you more than you'll ever know. See, today, this Christmas day, we need to 
to realize that we are not here in this place. We're not worshiping together in person and online right now just because a baby was born 2,000 years ago. No, we're here worshiping a God who became one of us. A God who loves us so much that he gave up, walked away from that divine, eternal realm to become one of us walk this earth to experience everything that we go through so that nothing can separate us from him. So let's not forget what Christmas is all about. It's not just about a baby being placed in a manger. It's about a God who became one of us. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer today, we are so grateful. We are so grateful. Christmas has come this year. But God, let us not just be grateful and thankful because today we get to open presents or spend time with our families or overindulge in our favorite Christmas meals. Let us be thankful for what this day truly is. Yes, this is a day when we celebrate the good news that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. But more than that, this is a day that we celebrate because this is when you Because you became one of us, because you know everything that we go through, the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, the joys, the sorrows that we experience, you know that there's nothing that can keep us away from you. So God, draw us closer to you this Christmas day. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our Sermon Podcast. And I hope that this episode has reminded you of what Christmas is really about. At Christmas, we're not celebrating the news that a baby was born 2,000 years ago. We're celebrating the fact that on that first Christmas, that God became one of us. And because God became one of us, there is nothing that can separate us from God. So remember that as we finish up our Christmas celebrations this year. Remember that as we enter in to this new year. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of our sermon podcast. And I just want to say that I hope that you have enjoyed listening to these podcasts over the course of the last year and hope that you continue to join us as we enter into a new year together. So you can join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday, and you're also invited to come and worship with us every Sunday morning. You can join us at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week, that you have a great New Year's, and we'll see you back here soon for another Sermon Podcast.